Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. With hundreds of millions of dollars owed to tens of thousands of unemployed Oregonians, the State Employment Department made an unusual decision recently to wait until August to begin work in earnest on a long-standing computer problem. But the massive tech issue isn't new. The state had been putting it off for a decade, despite having money from the feds to fix it. Now, even with those delays, it's unclear the state will get the job done and ensure unemployed Oregonians receive critical payments during this pandemic. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, political reporter Hilary Baroud puts the Employment Department's tech fiasco in perspective. As Baroud and fellow Oregonian and Oregon Live reporter Mike Rogaway reported, three different governors had a hand in the technology crisis that may cost workers thousands of dollars. And it's not the state's first high-profile software debacle. In the second half of the show, you'll hear from two unemployed Oregonians who have waited for months to get benefits. They were interviewed by my colleague, Jamie Goldberg. First, here's Hillary. Hillary, thanks so much for um, taking the time and for your latest story with Mike Rogaway on the employment department. Yeah, sure. And um, Mike has really just been bird dogging this story. And uh, we've done a couple We've done a couple stories now looking at state leadership, the legislature, and then um, governor now, governors, since <laughs> it's lasted um, three administrations that the state has had this money, just looking at um, why basically they did not replace their their really old IT system that they used to get jobless benefits out to people that is, is now um, preventing them from getting money to a lot of folks. and resulting in all kinds of problems and people waiting. So we're approaching month six of this public health and economic crisis. And the state, you know, said, uh, and you reported this, that they weren't even going to try to tackle this computer uh, programming issue until this month. But as you said, this is not the the first time that they've been aware of this. Take us back a little bit. How far back do these technology woes go and and how how many times has the state kind of uh, decided to you know not act on this through the years sure well it goes back to the last deeper session even though it certainly looks like this one is really going to dwarf that one be, but be a lot different of course we got into this one just so quickly but the great recession back in 2008 as a lot of people will remember, there was a big federal government response and um, a relief 
bill that was passed back then, ARA, um, I think it was American Relief Reinvestment, something like that. Mm. And that's sent just tons of different streams of money out to states. And one uh, was earmarked for states to modernize their unemployment. And that meant that it was for helping them um, basically expand who could qualify for unemployment back then in 2009. And so Oregon has had uh, around $85 million since then from the feds that they could use to improve their, their IT system for getting these jobless benefits out to people. It would take them from a 1990s um, system that's based on COBOL, which is a really old computer language from the 20th mm-hmm. century. And it's, it's tough to find people, as we've also reported, who are proficient in this language. And even if you do, they have to spend months just getting up to speed on the state system, which has, if you just imagine a house that has been added onto over the years and has so many different little components to it and you're trying to figure out where all the wiring's connecting and stuff they don't even know everything that's been built into the system over the years so every time they try and make a change like they had to this year when we went into another session in congress expanded unemployment benefits again it just takes them forever to go in and um, test whether any changes that, that they make so that they can get these new benefits out to people Um, whether those are going to completely mess up the system and cause more problems. So that's why they've needed to replace the system um, since then. And we've seen documents, including previous state audits, that said, hey, they knew during the last recession that it was causing some of these problems because they, they were dealing with a similar situation with the feds trying to get more benefits out to people, and the system was just having a hard time handling it. And so, you know, during this crisis, this economic crisis, much has been made of um, Oregon, um, you know, waiving the waiting week, but which is the first week you file for benefits, um, you aren't receiving benefits. Governor Brown pledged to waive that. Um, But now it's, you know, according to your reporting, it's really unclear whether anyone will get that money. Um, and we're in a unique position, right? There's no other state that, that you're aware of, um, that is having this type of issue getting benefits. Yes. When Mike and I spoke with David Gerstenfeld, who's now the interim director of the employment department after Kate Brown at the end of May fired the previous director, Kay Erickson, um, David, this new director over there, he said, that they're not sure um, or basically they don't know of any other state that is in the same boat as Oregon where we might not be able to waive that waiting week. If they don't get it fixed basically by the end of 2020, it's very unclear whether they would be able to um, still get those benefits to people in 2021. And that's also such a long time after Congress had approved um, waiving the waiting week for people that I suppose any money might help. But if you're someone who's struggling now, or you needed that money two months ago, um, to avoid, you know, being evicted, even though, you know, there's a moratorium on evictions right now, it's just going to be so late. 
What did Governor Brown have to say about, um, you know, your reporting that kind of laid out in great detail the three governors, including herself, uh, who have really failed to act on this? She declined an interview request. So unfortunately, we don't know what she thinks about that situation. Having covered state politics for a long time, you're well aware this is not the the first high-profile software or technology flop. Remind us about uh, some of the others that have happened in in recent years. Sure. Well, the one that most people will know about is Cover Oregon. That was uh, back in around 13, 14. Um, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact Back in the olden days. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when Governor Kitzhaber was in office, and that was when, uh, under President then President Obama, um, a lot of states were expanding Medicaid. They were going to health uh, health insurance exchanges where you'd be able to go online, and it'd be like a marketplace where you could easily pick a health insurance plan, which could be Medicaid for people who had low enough incomes. And Oregon had made a lot about how they're going to be a leader on healthcare reform mm-hmm. back then. And of course, that was a just a big catastrophic failure. I don't think it even launched when it was supposed to. They ended up having to use the federal um, insurance marketplace. And it was about $300 million wasted out of the gate on that um, initial tech project. But as I have... Um, Reported since then with our colleague Jeff Manning, also at the Oregonian, the spending to overhaul Oregon's Medicaid IT system has just continued to grow and grow because that was another component of Cover Oregon. Mm -hmm. And as of a couple of years ago, so it's probably due for a checkup, but as of a couple of years ago, it was looking like that would eventually approach $1 billion if you uh, if you added that with Cover Oregon, just trying to overhaul our Medicaid system that figures out if people are el- eligible. Um, we could probably go on. <laughs> there have been problems over at DHS with their system that they use for child Welfare case management. There have been security breaches all over state government, including at employment because of poor uh, IT security. You could probably feel free to jump in at any yeah. point, Andrew. Well, we're talking <laughs> DMV um, ODOT. <laughs> yeah, DMV ODOT. Um, another example of, you know, um, both a legislative um, leadership issue of delaying, delaying, delaying on implementing the Real ID Act, which you know, everyone knew was going to have to happen. Ultimately, <laughs> the state kind of skirted by on this one because uh, uh, the pandemic led to a delay in implementing that October requirement to have this um, federal ID uh, to, to board domestic flights or enter, you know, government buildings if you don't have a passport. Just a, a long story, but really, you know, ultimately one that was preventable. And, you know, we were the last state in the country to address. So this is kind of a trend. That we're the last state. Yeah, it does make you wonder about that. And Oregon has certainly been a bit um, a bit shy about moving forward with programs. And we did mention this. Uh, Mike went into that a fair amount in our story that's out today. 
that cover Oregon did make lawmakers and probably governors more cautious about moving ahead on projects. But even before cover Oregon, Oregon was just already behind on this employment IT overhaul um, for years before cover Oregon even happened. I was having a hard time finding people that would really want to explain at this point because it is such a hot potato now that there are thousands of Oregonians that are suffering because they're not getting um, benefits approved and just Mm -hmm. those frustrating stories you hear about waiting on the phone on hold for hours and days. Maybe you're coming back and doing it day after day after day trying to get through and then the phone system hangs up on you. You know, so just the toll that that's taking, it's hard to get people at this point to go back and openly talk about why they waited so long. So I did look back at some legislative history on it. And initially they were planning to hold on to that federal money as kind of a safeguard to pay out benefits to people during the last great recession, because that was an option. They could use the money for that. And it just doesn't seem like the employment department was acknowledging back then that they had to replace the system in 2009, 10, 11, and they were even coming to the legislature. This wasn't in the story, but they were asking for um, more money to hire more programmers who would know COBOL and just rework the system that they had. I think as as recently as 2012 or 2013, the legislature, I don't believe, signed off on that. But they were also hearing from the director of the department in 2013, the lawmakers were that, hey, Oregon is one of only two states left that haven't even started planning to replace this employment IT system. Well, so to be sure, back then, some states had already started trying to replace their old IT systems that they call legacy systems, and they'd failed. But a lot of other states were starting to plan. Several states, including one one lawmaker back then, uh, Representative Jensen, who actually since then um, has has died to give you a sense of the amount of time that's passed. Some of these older lawmakers, you know, are not even around anymore. He pointed out, hey, Mississippi has successfully modernized their system. Minnesota successfully modernized their system. And the, the planning process just takes years and years. They have to go in and study how their particular department works and then figure out what they need in a system. And so Oregon could have been doing that a long, long time ago, and they didn't start really until 2017. And with leadership, the new leadership at the department saying, we're not even going to touch this until August. Well, it's now August, but as your reporting showed, some of the people who are supposed to be working on this very important issue with hundreds of millions of dollars at stake for unemployed Oregonians, they quit last month, right? Yeah, uh, that was the the uh, modernization project manager. He left... Um, the wording of his resignation, he talked about making a clean break, um, leaving his leaving, enabling the team working on this to move on, restart it, kind of a fresh page for the project. It seemed that he was suggesting 
I don't know whether there was pressure on him to leave or he was just kind of reading the situation and drawing from that, that it would be helpful for him to move on. But now they've got to replace that person who's key in overseeing this project and moving it ahead. Um, There was another woman, we saw her resignation where it looked like she got a new job and no doubt uh, a lot of states right now are dealing with some level of employment department, IT issues. Mm-hmm. We're not the only one to be dealing with that. We're just unique in that we haven't replaced the system and we have this waiting week issue where we haven't been able to waive it. I think that we're really going to be looking going forward at how much are state leaders prioritizing this project because now they know how important it is. It's not going to be done until after, I mean, hopefully after, hopefully we're not still in the depths of this recession in 2025 when they're expecting to be done. But we probably, hopefully we will be in a better economy by then. So will they lose focus? Um, Because it seems like it just didn't get the level of attention it needed historically. And so then will they be able to start doing that now and be supportive of the people that are doing the project? And, um, you know, meanwhile, for the tens of thousands of Oregonians um, who were waiting on the the waiting week and the accompanying uh, $600 in federal benefits uh, for that week. It's kind of your SOL at this point. Yeah. Mike put together a story, um, which is probably advice he's given out before. He put together a story about what to do if you're waiting. And um, unfortunately, some of those things are what people have been hearing or learning for months, you know, contact, contact your local state representative or senator, they've been fielding a lot of these complaints and then pressing the employment department to resolve individuals' issues. Um, But yeah, it's certainly the computer system is not, the new one's not going to be here to solve people's problems now. They missed that boat years and years ago. Well, it's a really depressing story and uh, thank you for putting it together and laying it out for us. Uh, We appreciate it. Well, thanks for taking the time to um, talk more about it. And I think that the attention from readers and the pressure that leaders are feeling to do something about this, it, it definitely does result in some changes that help people. The lawmakers did approve some direct payments to people who've just been waiting for unemployment. So um, I think that there is some response that's immediate there, hopefully. Let's take a break, then come back and hear from some of the unemployed Oregonians. And now you'll hear from two unemployed Oregon workers. My colleague Jamie Goldberg interviewed unemployed workers who, at the time, were still waiting for claims to be processed. Some of those workers have subsequently received their payments. First up, Sarah Spriggs, a 45-year-old self-employed massage therapist. Now, in the beginning of this, I had uh, applied for the unemployment, even though, you know, I knew I was self-employed, so I expected to be denied. And But people said, go ahead and apply anyway if you're self-employed because they're working on a system and you need to be kind of in the system already. So I did that. Then I was denied. And I applied for the PUA when they got that up and running. 
And I kept sending in my stuff and sending in my stuff, and I received no word of nothing, nothing. I called them two or three times and was told different things. Um, and then, you know, finally when they told me I was denied for every week that I made more than 205, then they said that there was a second piece of it where if I sent in my tax information from last year and proved that I pulled in more than that, whatever their base algorithm for last year was, then they would pay me the difference of that. Um, and that that process would take minimum of a week. Well, that was like two months ago. <laughs> As things started opening up and more and more people started kind of being unsafe, I started feeling even more unsafe working. So I um, I have quit altogether now um, as per even my doctor's advice. Um, OHSU won't even let me go get my own care uh, because they don't want me risking exposure to COVID when entering their building. <laughs> So I'm not getting my medical care because of COVID, um, which tells me that I shouldn't be doing my job, right? Or, or really, I'm not safe to be out in public right now, especially with people not wearing masks anywhere. Kind of holed up in my trailer, and they said that if I can't work due to COVID and I have medical explanation for that, that I should receive something. Well, I... in since the middle of March, I have now, in total, received three weeks that I qualified for. Now, for the past two weeks, I've not had any income at all or any work. And they said that it was supposed to be automatic now once, I ha once I've now been in the system and I'm entering in my claims weekly, that it should now just happen, and it's not. So now... Last week I wasn't paid, and I have no idea if this week is going to be paid. And I got a, an email saying, don't call us if you haven't been paid. Wait two weeks, and then if you haven't been paid, then call one of these two numbers and talk to a representative who will then route you to another claim specialist. I've already spent hours and days talking to different specialists. I don't know what in the world they have to do again. I mean, this, this is ludicrous. And I've, I've left messages at the governor's office. I've emailed Representative Tina Kotek. I emailed another senator. I can't even remember the name. I'm just, I'm at my wit's end, and I, I'm doing the best I can. And I can't even find anywhere for my trailer. I don't have a truck to pull my trailer because I wasn't expecting to actually move with it. I just wanted to live in it. So really destroyed my life, and the unemployment department is not helping. And on top of it, I now my kids are at their dad's, and I can't have my kids with me until I find a stable place to live. I'm beyond devastated. I am devastated, and I'm angry. If I could, if I was like able to and be safe, I would be picketing outside of their department. It's criminal that they're doing this to people, and I know that I'm not the only one. 
the fact that we should have a Facebook group to have to have a Facebook group to stand up for our rights and to help each other get through this financially because we're not getting the money is is wrong. You know, and the CARES Act only goes through July, so I don't even know what to do after July because I don't even know if they're going to extend anything. So then what? And it's not that I don't want to work. I would love to do online work, but again, it's hard to do some online work when you don't have a place to live to have any service. I I don't know what I can do. I mean, I don't know. The best thing I could do is one of these hemp or weed growers to, to let me trim for them in some room by myself. I don't know what else to do. And, yeah, you know, I've been a massage therapist for 20 years. This is my, my life and my passion, and it's destroying me to not be able to do what I'm really good at. And I have to give all that up and to not even know if I'm going to have a livelihood at all and how I'm going to have my kids back and provide what I need for them. You know, when I went into massage therapy, I never would have guessed that I would lose my career due to a pandemic. I'm trying to rely on the government to figure something out, but I'm also doing my best to talk to everybody I know to see if there's any, you know, work that I can do, like app-based work from my phone or, you know, like I said, trim work or some kind of outdoor anything that I can do, which that's limited to because I have uh, three bulging discs in my neck. So <laughs> I'm searching for any possible solution to help myself out of this situation. I do receive child support very regularly every month without fail. So that's, you know, that helps keep me afloat and can pay some amount of rent at an RV place or, you know, if someone wants to rent me property or whatever, but I so far have not been successful in finding that. And so right now as it stands, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm on the side of a road in a park, but I'm about ready to have to go into, you know, free national park land or BLM land and be totally by myself away from society and no services, which is really scary. It's real. And I know that there's so many other people out there just like me that are going through the same thing or even possibly worse. And I just want the government to do what they're supposed to do, what they said they were going to do. Now, Sashmita Podar, a 40-year-old Hillsborough business owner. I own a dance school, a salon, and a boutique here in Hillsboro, um, Oregon. And I have run my businesses, five careers and three businesses, basically for about 12 years now. I've dealt with the 2008 uh, disruption, the financial uh, crisis. When 2009, we opened our location, everybody thought that I'm a fool because I was opening right in the middle of a crazy situation where nobody was opening businesses. They were trying to hold on to everything that they had and losing money. But um, I knew that that was going to come around because humans are resilient. We will bounce back. You know, we, we won't stay um, 
in dire straits for long, un unless there is a leadership issue, which is what's happening now. So um, I was in India in December, and I came back from India in January. And uh, as I'm a civic leader and a small business owner, between January 22nd and March 3rd, I had done enough reading and enough uh, collection of information to know that this is, we are not very far from it. I'm surprised it has not already touched us. I did not know that our government already knew that it was in our country and that it was trying to do their own thing in the stock market <laughs> before it allowed community members uh, to even get to know about this. We can say it's conspiracy theory. I mean, you know, so if you're talking, it's all fake, but I want to believe from all of the information that I collected that we already had it for quite some time. And uh, I was kind of sort of prepared that uh, we will have to go into uh, restrictions and shutdown and all of that. But uh, what I didn't realize was how incomprehensive our country is about how to think like a community and be like a community and behave like a community that we all have to take at every level. Uh, when I say community, I don't just mean people in the community. I mean like officials and businesses and companies and all of them that we will all have to jump in together and just go in under lockdown for a couple of weeks or three weeks to ensure that this doesn't affect us dramatically. I also believed because of the last two years of intensive civic work and all the connections that we had, I had made in the government and with people and being encouraged by them to uh, give, their, give my opinion about this or that, that when time came for a situation like this, that they would be open to listening to ideas or actually working with communities since we've had this massive movement about equity. I expected a lot more. And what I saw starting in March was that the cities started blaming the county, county started blaming the state, the state started blaming the feds, and you know what the feds do. It, it, so it just kept going up and down, up and down the block. And I'm seeing that even now, five months later, when I still talk about that these things can be done at the local level, we don't need to worry about county, state, we can start micro. Community members, unfortunately, think that it is not possible, that uh, it is all about the federal government, because we have created a notion that somebody else is to blame for everything. It's easier rather than taking ownership and saying, this is our circumstance, what do we do about it? And so this whole fiasco with why I said all of this was this whole fiasco with OAD is the result of that. And so March, uh, my employee said that she, it is, it is difficult for her to come to work. And I said, business has to be closed. We are being forced into shutdown. So great. Um, we will uh, go under shutdown and I'm sorry that, uh, we are not able, because I knew that nobody's going to come and we not that nobody's going to come. I didn't want anybody to step out of their homes. We really needed to go under severe lockdown once and for all so that we could prevent the, the disaster that's unfolding around us. And um, so my employee uh, went home and I think a week, a week or so later, I remember speaking to her and she's like, 
I don't know where I'm going to get uh, money from because I'm a, she's a part-time employee. She's been studying at uh, PCC. So she's always been a part-time. That's all I can, I have ever been able to afford. So she's like, I'm not eligible for anything. March, I think first week or second week, I wrote about this whole issue that the unemployment forms on OED are not sufficient. What they are covering, the details they want, it's very archaic and it's very non, um, it's not modern. It doesn't cater to the needs of today. And there is no scope over there for uh, self-employed business owners. And no, people with 500 employees is not a small business. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Ryan Wen helped produce this episode. Check out Hillary and Mike Rogaway's story on the employment department. I shared a link in the episode notes. Also, check out Jamie Goldberg's story on unemployed workers. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the program. Until next time.